0: Good morning, Boomerangutans. It's a good day. Amen. It's been a pretty weekend. Friday was interesting, but it's been a pretty weekend. We were outside in the rain all day Friday, soaked to the core. Well, by all day, I mean to lunch, but that seemed like all day. All right, so we are doing discipleship evangelism from the Andrew Womack, um course that he gives us. But, before we jump right in, we're going to open up in prayer. We should always start talking to Diddy. So, Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for the beauty of this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together. We thank you, Father, that we are in a place where we can truly put you first in everything. And so, Father, we give you this day. We give you this class. We give you this service, every bit of it. And we say, Lord, let your will be done here here and us and the people that are coming help us to be your hands and feet in all things to love on each and every person that walks in that door to even love on each and every person that's watching through live stream lord and father let our let our words be your words our actions your actions and father we thank you that we are open to receive from you, that we will receive from you today and walk out of here closer to you than we walked in. And we praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this one, we're in level three, lesson 10. This one's called No More Consciousness of Sin. This one's by Don Crow. And for anybody that hasn't been with us before or watching before, This is Andrew Womack wrote a discipleship evangelism class. And it is, it's awesome. So awesome that we're not even trying to make it our own. We are just reading from here because there's some really good anointed points. Um, So I'm not cheating, but I am going to read from here. And this one's a short lesson, but we've got a bunch of questions. But it's a good one. Um, So I'm just going to jump into it. It says, one day... A drunken man got into his automobile, started driving in the wrong direction, and had a head on collision with the party in another car. In this accident, a young 18 year old girl was killed. The family of this girl sued the man and won $1.5 million in the lawsuit. However, instead of taking the money, the family settled for $936. The reason was that they wanted this man to pay this sum in a specific manner. They wanted the man who had been drunk to remember what he had done. He was to write out a check in the name of the girl he had killed for $1 each week and send it to the family. You would think that the settlement of $936 would be a good deal in light of $1.5 At first, paying the $1 a week was easy. But after a while, writing a check in the name of the girl he had killed began to dominate his thinking. Every week, he went into depression thinking about this girl that he had killed. After years of this, he finally quit making the payments. The family took him back to court and ordered him to resume making payments. In the last six or seven years, he quit making payments four or five times. However, each time he was taken back to court and again made to resume making payments. The family said that they were not angry anymore, but they just wanted to remind him of what he had done. If you think about it, the family was in bondage as well, as well as the man making the payments. Every week they got a check that reminded them of their loss. So in a sense, they couldn't put their daughter's death behind them either. That man is now suing the family for what he calls cruel and unusual punishment. He says, this is killing me. It's destroying my life. I can never put the past behind me and go on with my life. In light of this story, I've met a lot of Christians who feel they are under the same kind of judgment. They were told Jesus paid it all, but still feel as they have to make a weekly payment of religious duties or God will not accept them. So I thought this was an interesting, interesting topic, but for a different reason. Because I was just talking to a friend uh, three weeks ago. And this friend's cousin was one of Brian's very best friends. My friend that I was talking to was my best friend in high school. And her husband got killed in a car wreck. And it just happened that her cousin was one of Brian's best friends. so we both had a connection to it. and We were talking about it. And basically what we were talking about was the girl that had hit him. And we're like, I wonder what happened to XYZ, young lady. You know, what happened to him? Did she go on with her life? Is she miserable? Is she happy? And it was an interesting array of emotions talking about this. Because for me, as a young girl, I was 18, 19 when Dennis got killed. And watching everything happen... I had to watch my best friend just torn apart because her family was close. But then I had to watch this young man that I was falling in love with hurt like I'd never seen him hurt before. I'd never seen Brian cry like this and upset like this. And so for me, it was while I knew Dennis and I liked Dennis, I I wasn't tight with Dennis. But two of the most important people in my life were. And so it had an impact on me. And as I sit there talking to Lisa, I had I had to check my feelings because I'm sitting here wondering, what is this girl doing now? Does she even remember him? Does she remember what she did to that family? And that's a normal flesh reaction. And we even, ah, well, I didn't. Lisa went and found her on Facebook and found there were some pictures, and it looks like she's got a wonderful life. She's got... A family and ironically right now she's teaching her daughter how to drive and of course as I saw that picture I'm like well I hope she's not the one teaching her how to drive and as, as soon as I got it I mean as soon as it came out of my head I'm like what a bad horrible thing to think you know how judgmental how just how horrible and I sat there and I mean and this is recent you know And I sat there, and I'm like, Lord, that's horrible of me to think that. And he confirmed it. He said, yeah, pretty much. I was like, Lord, it's supposed to make me feel better. But that was because I was young when this happened, and I was young in my faith. It wasn't something that I even realized at the time I needed to give to him. And it wasn't, it's not something that's dominated my thoughts. I hadn't really even thought of the incident much, except for when I drive down that road, and I see the little cross where Dennis got killed. But how many people in the world are like that? They want to charge the family that $1 a week just so you'll remember. And they'll wrap it real beautifully. You know, this is to help others not to go through what we have to. This is to help you to remember to never do that again. And they'll wrap it in a way that seems like it's justified. You know, sugarcoat it to make it easy going down. But what we're doing is we're holding that person in bondage to their mistakes. Because here's what happened. This young girl, and she was, she was young. If I was 18, 19 at the time, she would have been 17. She was a year or two younger than me. She ran off the road on the right. She overcorrected and went into the left lane and hit him head on. How many of us have run off the shoulder? How many of us? Have looked down at our phone or looked down at the radio or turned up the heat and just slightly ran across that double yellow line. I mean, it's just the grace of God that we weren't in her shoes. You know, each and every one of us have done stupid things. Each and I mean, ours may not have been called drunk driving, but each and every one of us that have gotten behind the wheel for any length of time have been dumb at some point or another. And could have been in the same position as this man or that young lady. So how many of us would want the forgiveness that they deserve? We have to remember that it's not only us that hurt. It's the person that's done that as well. And this is why Christ came and said, I love you. I forgive you. He doesn't want us living with our past. He doesn't want us walking around going, Oh, Lord, but you don't know on this day of that year I did this. He said the only past action you need to remember is on that day on a cross. My son died for you and washed away every single thing that you ever did or ever will do and made you the righteousness of me. That's this man. He is the righteousness of God. That is that young lady. She is a daughter of the one true king, worthy of his love, his affection, and his forgiveness. So it was, a great, it was a great lesson, and ironic for me to end up teaching it, because it wasn't supposed to be me. Let's go on with some of the questions. We have a lot. All right. Excuse me live stream what kind of relationship can this man have with the family while this kind of thing is going on and Don said a relationship full of unforgiveness bitterness and strife imagine if this family were Christians and this happened while their pain is very real they have lost their child, and that's, that's a pain, I'm sure, like no other. It's not one I can relate to, thankfully, but I'm sure losing a child is a pain like no other. However, what if through this they decided to let God reign? What if through this they decided to take this young man under their wing and love on him, forgive him? So into him. Imagine how much different both of their lives could have been because they would have been walking in the love and the grace of God their whole life. I imagine walking in love is a whole lot better than walking in bitterness. I've tried both. I prefer love. But how much different would his life have been? What could he have become? Instead of a man haunted by depression and sinfulness and self condemnation. What if he instead became someone that went from school to school to school, from AA meeting to AA meeting, giving his testimony and truly impacting other people? The love of God will have a far bigger impact than unforgiveness and bitterness. Question two wants us to turn to Hebrews 10. We're going to read 10, 1 and 2. It says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. And if you'll just leave that up. It says, what could the law not do? Yeah, couldn't cleanse cleanse us of our sins. It couldn't make us perfect. And on the same verse, question three says, what does this verse say? that gives us an indication that the sacrifices of the Old Testament were inadequate to make us perfect. How do we know that we couldn't be made perfect through this verse? Look in verse 2. Yeah. The offering of Christ was once and for all. But the law requires us to make payments every week so we remember what we've done. Are we truly or cleansed if we still see the stain? We're not. But we are truly cleansed and able to be a blessing to others and a testimony of our Father's goodness when we rely on His grace. And then same verse, Hebrews 2. If a sacrifice came that could really deal with sin, what would it do for the worshipers? Think about it in this man's point of view. If that family had have truly forgiven him the way Christ has forgiven us, what would it have done for him? I heard freedom. How much freer were you the day you accepted Jesus and realized you don't have to carry this weight of everything that you've done wrong, everything that your generations before you have done wrong. Because so many of us grow up thinking, well, you know, your mama was like this, your He was like this, grandmama was like this, Aunt Betsy was like this, you're going to be just like this. Jesus said, you're in my family, you'll be just like me. Forgiven of everything. Not held by generational curses or bondages. Not held down by mistakes. No matter how stupid, no matter how big, no matter the magnitude of the effects, you've been forgiven. What a freedom that was. And did it not make you? I mean, I know for me, when I first got saved, dude, I was like, you know, after I wiped all the you know, tears off, the mascara was long gone. First thing I did was I wanted to pick up the phone and call my mama. I'm like, I got to tell people about this. Because I knew there was a freedom in it. Because I knew that there was a beauty in it. There was a love in it. Like I had never known. How much more would we want to testify to the goodness of God when we receive that complete and ultimate forgiveness? Freedom's the perfect word for it. But instead, what was this drunk driver forced to do? <clears throat> he was forced to relive it. To relive, relive that sin and that mistake. Week after week after week. And it doesn't say this in here, but I imagine you think about it when you always focus on the problem and never on the solution, what do you stay encompassed with? You stay encompassed with that problem. So I imagine, in likelihood, this man probably did not stop drinking. Because he probably needed to drown his sorrows. Where they're wanting him to remember what he's done and change. They're forcing him, in a sense, to stay wrapped in that sin. There's no freedom for anybody in that. And then if you'll turn to Hebrews 10.14. It says, For by one offering he is perfected for all time, those who are sanctified. Your question is, God perfects his people by good works, going to church, keeping the Ten Commandments, or the offering of Jesus? Ding, ding, ding. The offering of Jesus. We have had people do all kinds of good deeds, show up in church week after week, and were some of the meanest people we had ever met. I've met snakes nicer than some of these people. You're not going to get it by checking your boxes. And the whole reason of needing Jesus was because nobody could keep the Ten Commandments, so there's no way you'll do that. It's only by the offering of Jesus alone that you are perfected. Then on the same verse, it says, Jesus' offering received by faith perfects the believer for how long? Until the next time they sin? Only from their past sins or forever? Forever. You know, and I've heard some people say, well, if he does that, then that just gives you a license to go sin. But it's so the opposite because when you realize how much the Father loves you and you realize not only has he erased your mistakes, that he's got you covered for your whole future, how much more do you want to live for him? You know, I mean, I go through my day, and it's not like I'm going, you know, step by step going, oh, don't let, me, don't let me mess up. I hope I don't mess up here. But there's a freedom in my day that I know I want to make my decisions for him. So, you know, when I walk into a grocery store, and I don't do it every time, but, you know, as I'm led, when I walk into a grocery store, I may have a check. Typically, most people walk in and they go to the right. It's human nature. Sometimes I'm wild and adventurous and I go to the left. Or I may even go straight. But what if God leads us somehow and we miss it? We don't have to get that condemnation. We don't have to kick ourselves in the pants. We receive his forgiveness and we just keep trucking, knowing that the next time we'll recognize that still small voice and we'll be able to follow it. Because he loves us. He's constantly guiding us, constantly teaching us, constantly helping us because he loves us that much. That's the true love of a father. All right, now this scripture, I'm not going to throw it up there because it's a little bit long, but I want you to listen because we're going to have some questions. This is Genesis 20. We're going to go 1 through 18, and I'm going to read it to you in the New Living because it's a little bit easier to understand. All right, Abraham moved south to the Negev and lived for a while between Kadesh and Shur. Then he moved on to Gerar. While living there as a foreigner, Abraham induced, introduced his wife Sarah by saying, She's my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and had her brought to him at his palace. But that night, God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, You were a dead man, for that woman you have taken is already married. But Abimelech had not slept with her yet. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Didn't Abraham tell me she's my sister? And she herself said, yes, he is my brother. I acted in complete innocence. My hands are clean. In the dream, God responded, yes, I know you're innocent. That's why I kept you from sinning against me and why I did not let you touch her. Now return, to, return the woman to her husband And he will pray for you, for he is a prophet. Then you will live. But if you don't return her to him, you can be sure that you and all of your people will die. Abimelech got up early the next morning and quickly called all of his servants together. When he told them what what had happened, his men were terrified. Then Abimelech called for Abraham. What have you done to us? He demanded, what crime have I committed that deserves treatment like this, making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin? No one should ever do what you've done. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing? Abraham replied, I thought, this is a godless place. They'll want my wife and will kill me to get her. And she really is my sister, for we both have the same father but different mothers, and I married her. When God called me to leave my father's home and to travel from place to place, I told her, do me a favor. Wherever we go, tell the people that I am your brother. Then Abimelech took some of his sheep, goats, cattle, and male and female servants and he presented them to abraham he also returned his wife sarah to him then abimelech said look over my land and choose any place where you would like to live and he said to sarah look i am giving your brother a thousand pieces of silver in the presence of all these witnesses this is to compensate you for any wrong i may have done to you this will settle any claim against me and your reputation is cleared Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, his female servants, so they could have children. For the Lord had caused all the women to be infertile because of what had happened with Abraham's wife, Sarah. And the first one says, So what two men are we talking about in this story? It's Abraham and Abimelech. Question nine. All right, so in Genesis 20... Verses 2 and 5 says, Who was the man who lied and deceived the other in the story? Abraham, this prophet of God, was the one that lied. In Genesis 20, verse 7, I'm sure that God did not approve of Abraham's actions, but who did God side with? Abraham or Abimelech? Abraham. And here's your question: Why? In Genesis 15 verse one, and I'll just read these out to you. Genesis 15:1 and 18, it says, "After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, "Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great, re- great reward." And then verse 18, "In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying. Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And then lastly, James 2.23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So why did God side with Abraham? Abraham. He was a friend of God. He had a covenant with God. Well, you think about anybody and everybody that's accepted Christ as their Savior. You have a blood-bought covenant with God. You are not only called a friend of God, you are called a child of God. So each and every one of us could have been in this place of the drunk man or of Abraham Every one of us have messed up. Every one of us have at some point or another allowed fear to creep in or emotions to creep in and to guide our decisions. Now, daily what we try to do is we try to grow and do that less and less and less and get to the point that our natural, immediate response is to operate under the flow of the Spirit. But we've all messed up at some point. We don't know what this drunk driver did. What kind of day did he have? You know, was his wife just diagnosed with cancer? Did he just lose his job? Did he just have a day where everything went wrong? You know, the kid woke up and wet his bed. The other kid threw up all over him. His wife had to leave for work early. The computer at work messed up. It didn't have to be anything great, but just one of those days where it's just like, I just need something. And unfortunately, instead of God, at this point, he turned to alcohol. Abram, he was fearful that his wife would be taken, that he would be killed. He was guided by his emotions. He was guided by fear. And in this instance, he didn't turn to God for directions. He turned to logic. Can any one of us not say that we've, you know, can can any one of us say that we've never done that? I can't. I probably did it this week. Before the day's over, I may do it again. And it's not that we try to do it. And it's not that we've got the license to do it. But we do mess up. But we've got a blood-bought covenant that says, in spite of your faults, in spite of your weaknesses... I call you mine. And as you turn to me, I'll make you stronger. I'll be your shield. I'll be your protector. I'll be your guidance. And as we do that more and more and more, it's kind of like when you take that first step. Oh, this isn't so bad. Maybe I can take one more. Oh, this kind of works. I'm actually getting closer. That's how it is with God. We take one step after one step after one step, and each one gets easier and easier. So you've got to take that first step of following the leading of the Holy Spirit because he calls you friend, because he loves you, and he's wanting to lead you to that triumph. And in Genesis 27 and then 17 through 18, it says, even though Abraham was wrong, what did God say? Who did God say should pray for the other one? He says, you're not perfect, but you're my prophet. And I want you to pray for this man. Even though by all logic, all sights, Abimelech appeared to be evil. Abraham could have said, but Lord, I'm a prophet. Do you know who that is? Do you know what he did? But God said, I love him too. He probably told that family, yeah, he messed up big time. But I want you to pray for that, that man. Because he's not a drunk. He's my child. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Even though we sometimes fail, who's on our side? He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Romans 4, eight. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. In the new covenant, what did God promise not to do? He said, I'll remember your sins no more. I'm not going to take them into account. He sees your assets, not your debits. Ephesians 2, 5, and then 8 through 9. 5 says, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace we are saved. Then verses 8 through 9 say, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How are we saved? Can you do anything to deserve it or to earn it? not a thing all you do is call on the name of jesus the roman road says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth you're not earning it you are you are getting it by the grace of god titus 3 5 he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. How are we not saved? By deeds. How are we saved? Mercy and grace. Praise God for that. Ephesians 1.6 tells us, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. This is a fill in the blank. It says, We will praise God throughout all eternity for saving us by his grace, for he hath made us what in the beloved? Accepted, free. You know, you think of the world, so many. I mean, you think especially of kids. You know, I think of me as a kid, you know, as I've got two girls now. Luke's not yet to this point. How many of us go through our young lives just wanting to be accepted, wanting to fit in, doing anything to belong? And all the while, we've been accepted. How different could our lives be if we knew that at an early age? How different could your life be tomorrow if you realize that now? So I challenge you now, anybody watching on live stream, anybody here, search yourself, search your heart. Have you accepted that grace? Have you accepted that salvation or have you been trying to earn it? Have you been trying to cleanse yourself? Because you won't do it. There's always going to be those nooks and crannies that you don't see the little things tucked away that you forget until Satan brings them up and reminds you. And you can scrub as hard as you try to and make the past whole. You'll never do it on your own. So ask yourself, have I been trying to earn this? Or have I really received the grace of my Father? Have I just said, Lord, I don't deserve it. And I know I don't deserve it in myself, but you said I do, so I believe you, and I accept you, because that's what he wants you to do, whether you're 7 or 77, he doesn't care your age, he doesn't care your past, because he knows your future with him, and that's all that matters to him, all that matters to your ditty is your future with him, the past is the past, it's behind you. And if we constantly keep looking at the past, we're missing a bright, beautiful, free, grace-filled, righteous-filled future. So, Father, we come today, and we give you ourselves. And, Lord, if we've received you before, then we take this day right now to recommit ourselves to you. We may have messed up five minutes ago, but we thank you that by your grace, we are saved. We thank you that by your grace, we are forgiven, we are cleansed, we are whole. We are everything that you have called us to be because we identify ourselves as your child. So, Father, at this moment, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his obedience to you and for his love for us because at any moment he could have walked away. But he loved us enough to get on that cross, to die for us. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you for that. And we choose right this moment to believe in you and to believe in your son, Jesus. And, Lord, we will live our lives each and every day confessing your love, be it through our words or through our actions. We will confess your love, your grace, and your righteousness to this world because that is what they need. They need you just as much as we did. And we thank you that as we are now a part of your family ambassadors of your kingdom we have the great opportunity to go and sow forgiveness into those who have wronged us and we say at this moment for anybody that will wrong us in the future we choose that we are going to walk in forgiveness for them too lord guide our steps Thank you that you always lead us to triumph. Thank you, Father, that you always lead us to walking out your will on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Father, that you guide us to walk in that grace and in that mercy for each and every person around us. Help us to show people that they are not their sin. Help us to show people that they are your children. Help us to love people, Lord, the way you love them, to see them with your eyes. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you aren't blinded to our sin, but you have cleansed our sin. And you have bestowed your love overflowing freely upon us each and every day as if each day were just a new, complete new dose. Thank you that you call us your children. Thank you that you call us your friends. And thank you that through our lives, others will come to know you in that very real way. And together we will make a difference in this world for you and we praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I just encourage you now, as you're going, you know, going out in your future and you come up upon something, or maybe today you just have questions on salvation or on forgiveness or on overcoming something, find your pastor, be it if you're here, find Brian or I. If you're on live stream, find whoever your pastor is. Go to them. God has given you a shepherd to help protect you and to help guide you. God does not want you walking five more minutes in bitterness and contempt and sin-mindness and unforgiveness. He wants you free. So choose that this day will be the day of my freedom. Father, we thank you for that. And y'all have an awesome day.